there is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the twilight zone. Tonight we welcome back to the Twilight Zone, Richard Matheson. Although welcome back is probably not strictly accurate, depending on how you look at it. His, his short story, Disappearing Act, had been very loosely adapted into the episode and when the sky was opened. But apparently the episode that we'll be discussing tonight was the first non-sailing episode to actually go into production, despite us having already seen the Charles Beaumont episode perchance to dream much earlier in the season so it's actually maybe a case of welcome Richard Matheson I think he was paid $1750 for the script which was actually the lowest fee he ever received for a Twilight Zone episode which I suppose makes sense if it was his first episode he needed to show what he could do now the way this story started off is actually quite interesting and in the book unlocking the door to a television classic Matheson says this, he says, I know I had to go in and pitch the first one, which was extremely simple. World War One pilot gets lost, lands, and he's in a 1959 SAC base. That was enough. I didn't have a story, I didn't know where it was going to go. I had to figure that out, but because the image was so vivid, they said, yeah, go ahead. I had been published, and they knew more or less what I could do. It wasn't as if they were taking that big of a chance. Now the story originally was called Flight, which in a lot of ways, because of the way you can interpret that, I, I like better than the last flight, but I'll talk more about that later. Now there was an opening narration that wasn't used, and it goes like this. There's a loneliness to the sky, a sense of isolation, a rootless bewilderment translated into fear when a pilot is lost, as this man is. His name is William Smith Decker, Royal Flying Corps. He returned from patrol somewhere over France. He's hopelessly, desperately lost. This is 1919. As of this moment, Lieutenant Decker will begin a process of learning. He will find out that there are degrees to being lost. Degrees not just to be measured in miles, but in years. A lot of years. To be exact, 42 of them. But Rod Salen does it a lot better than me, so let's take a look at The Last Flight. Flight Lieutenant William Terence Decker, Royal Flying Corps, returning from a patrol somewhere over France. The year is 1917. The problem is that the lieutenant is hopelessly lost. Lieutenant Decker will soon discover that a man can be lost not only in terms of maps and miles, but also in time. And time in this case can be measured in eternities.
first broadcast on the 5th of February 1960, written by Richard Matheson and directed by William Claxton. Now this is his first Twilight Zone directing gig, but he actually went on to direct the episodes The Jungle, The Little People and I Sing The Body Electric. And later on in his career he actually directed the film Night of the Lepus, in 1972 about giant killer rabbits so I will look forward to that one um, now as the show opens a vintage aeroplane lands on an airfield that was shown is supposed to be in France but in reality these scenes were filmed at the Norton Air Base in San Bernardino the plane is described in the Twilight Zone companion as being a vintage 1918 Newport biplane now unlocking the door to a television classic says it was a replica so I'm not quite sure what the story is there and they do give a nice little few facts about the plane so this is a direct quote from Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic by Martin Grams Jr. It says there were a number of Newport planes in World War I but with the limited availability of any Newport this meant using whatever was available. The exact replica of the fabric covered biplane in which US ace captain Eddie Rickenbacker knocked down his first German aircraft was no newcomer to television and motion picture cameras. According to a CBS press release, it emerged unscathed from countless dogfights in such World War I aviation epics as the Dawn Patrol, the Lost Squadron and Lafayette Escadrille. Now apparently all the real pilots on the airfield were very enamoured with this plane. When it landed they all wanted to touch it and so on, so in the end they had to cordon the plane off to keep it safe from everyone touching it. They didn't want the plane to get damaged. Now I think the scene is instantly very striking, that juxtaposition of the old plane at the new airfield and there is a very real sense of what the hell is going on. You know, the pilot who we find out is Lieutenant William Terence Decker is looking around wondering where he is and what it is he's actually looking at those modern planes and so on and then there's major wilson following along in his jeep wondering why this old plane is landing on his airfield it is an image that does sell itself to you straight away and as soon as you see it you're hooked you know how is this going to play out what do you think you're doing who in the name of what do you mean running this antique in front of an approaching aircraft? Don't you understand what I'm saying? Are you French? I'm British. Are you American? Can't you see this is an American base? But all this? We had no idea you were so advanced. I like his reaction there. I think it's very a very natural delivery by the actor Kenneth Haig, who we'll talk a little bit about later on. Now, Lieutenant Decker is taken to the office of Major Harper along with Major Wilson, where we have this little play between the three men. Lieutenant Decker is recounting his story of who he is and how he got there. And, and on one side we have Major Harper, who's a real skeptic. He doesn't believe it, but then there's Major Wilson, who, although he is kind of as disbelieving as Harper, he's taking a stance of, you know, I don't know how this can be true. But if you look at him, look at his reactions, you know, he seems to take Decker at his word to a degree. Maybe he isn't allowing himself to totally believe him, but there's some conflict there within himself. It's almost like he believes, but he's just stopping himself from believing him completely. And then we hear how Lieutenant Decker got there. 
cloud. While I was passing through it, I couldn't hear my engine. It was like being swallowed in a vacuum. Same sort of thing happened to Guimer. The French fighter pilot? He disappeared one day while flying. At the memorial service, the cardinal said, he belonged to the sky, and the sky has taken him. You know, I always wonder what happened to that other fella, the guy who who disappeared first. You know, you know, did he slip through time in a similar situation where it actually meant something, or did he just find himself somewhere else in time with no real reason to be there? There are a few instances of this kind of thing in the Twilight Zone, portals taking people to some other place or time. It reminds me of A Hundred Yards Over the Rim from the second season where it was just the act of walking over that hill, if I remember rightly. A similar kind of thing to this, putting someone from the past into the future, so so you can hypothesise a little what are these rips in time. And I know it, it is just fun speculation, I do like to draw parallels between episodes and you know look at the similar devices that they use but obviously I'm aware that there's no continuity in terms of episodes themselves but it is a recurring thing in the Twilight Zone so you know I do wonder are these holes in time a, a piece of nature that we don't know anything about a natural occurrence one of the things we just don't understand in the universe or again it's not really played up that much in the episode, but is there a higher power at work? Is it someone moving the pieces, moving people where they need to be to get a certain thing done? It's one of those, you know, those great unknowns of the Twilight Zone, I think. Lieutenant Decker has moved to a cell and we have a further bit of dialogue between him and Major Wilson where we find out the other big plot point, and that is that Lieutenant Decker was a coward. There's a piece of dialogue in this speech that he gives that I really like and it's about what I guess is one of the great first casualties of war and that's innocence, you know, especially in the days of people being drafted in when men who were one minute ordinary working men were then expected to kill and so on. It's it's a sensitive subject but I think that Richard Matheson slips it in quite nicely. It doesn't overwhelm the episode but it gives it just enough of a reason for what Lieutenant Decker calls him being a coward. Oh. I got by with my pretending well enough. My kind of strained idiocy is exactly the brand we all put on. Playing the part, you know? Boys on a lark. Laughing, joking, drinking. Oh, it's too much, all of it. And turning into deadly, ice-cold killers in the sky. Although not me, of course. No, not me. Up there, I'm just as afraid as I am on the ground. So, of course, we know that Lieutenant Decker ends up escaping and we have that nice scene of him running across the airfield and a little moment of tension where he, he can't actually just jump in the plane and go. He has to pull the propeller and start the plane. Now, there is this obvious thread running through the whole episode that I haven't really mentioned yet, and that is the imminent arrival of Alexander Mackay to the base, an old war friend of Lieutenant Decker, who he was actually in the air with at the time he went through the cloud into the future. 
Now Mackay was fighting off the Germans while Decker was hiding away and Lieutenant Decker can't believe he's on his way to the airbase because he thought he died in that battle but through the story the penny drops and Decker realises that he needs to go back and of course that leads to that great scene at the end where we see old Leadbottom turn up and speak of Lieutenant Decker with a nice degree of warmth and respect. Well I had a feeling that old Terry was lighting out on me. He flew away? Yes. Climbed high. Disappeared in a cloud. A white cloud, sir? I don't know. I suppose so. And then? Well then, out of nowhere it seemed, Terry came diving down, his gun chattering away. He got three of the blighters before they got him. Saved my life. You know, so often when I check out the list of credits for an actor that we're talking about in the Twilight Zone, we see the same things because of the time and the way television was at the time. You see a lot of the same shows, things like Bonanza or Playhouse 90, that kind of thing. Shows that, as a Brit, I'm aware of, but I've never really seen and I don't really have any kind of connection to, so it's quite refreshing to see Kenneth Haig's list of credits. Now... Kenneth Haig, of course, played Decker. Now, he was an English actor, born in Yorkshire, and he did occasionally work in America, but most of his work was in England for the BBC or ITV. He's an actor who aged very well. He really grew into his years and, and had a real look of authority about him in his later roles. Whereas here, he has a certain, maybe, innocence about him. Especially when you put him against the more hard-nosed Americans, he seems a little softer but I think that's what it's all about those juxtapositions there are many in this episode you know a man out of time the the Americans and the Englishman technology all these all these little things going on and I think he's well cast as a kind of Errol Flynn type of character in some ways and you know obviously he's not as swashbuckling or heroic like he said earlier he plays the part but in reality he can't really back that up he needs something to be able to become that person and that of course is learning about the legacy of alexander Mackay and what he needs to do to protect that legacy mark zickery in the twilight zone companion says that this is a little different from a rod sailing penned episode because and i quote we watch not because of any particular warmth we feel for the characters, but because the story is so mesmerising. Now, I do agree that it's a mesmerising story, but I would disagree slightly about the warmth. I guess maybe it isn't the same kind of warmth you'd feel for a Rod Sailing lead, but I do think that Decker finally becoming a hero counts for a lot, and despite him calling himself a coward, while it's... You know, obviously not fair to for him to let everyone else take the risks in the skies. You can certainly sympathise with his fear. I think it's an effective episode and it's one that I do enjoy a lot. And possibly very influential. I know that time travel stories existed before it. But this does seem to fit that mould of a lot of time travel stories we've seen since. You know, had Decker not travelled through time and learned about the future... He probably wouldn't have saved Mackay, but it's not quite the same as maybe something like The Terminator where Cal Reese comes from the future and becomes the father of John Connor. I don't want to get too deep into that or I'll probably go cross-eyed, but 
It works, and I think it works within itself. I think the episode does have a very good war adventure movie feel about it. And, you know, it's partially because of those nice exterior shots on the airfield, but, you know, I think also the characters are plucked straight out of old war movies and put in this fantastic situation. But although it is like a war movie, there is one thing missing, and I think it's that climax, that dogfight, the ending sequence, if you like, that a war movie would have and build to. Now, when I say missing, I don't mean missing as in it's lacking that. It's just that it's not there. Now, I don't always go for the what you don't see is more effective school of thought, but in this case, I think it's true. It is a lot more powerful to have Decker's heroic rescue told to us by Mackay than to actually see it for ourselves. I think the story needed that reveal rather than just following Decker into battle. And I think the memory of those war movies that we have seen kind of fills in that blank for us, you know. We can... uh, we get enough of a flavour of it from the characters, from the location, to really put us in that atmosphere, put it in, put us in that place, and we don't really need to see that dogfight. We just need to hear Mackay tell that story and talk about how his friend saved him. I'll close with Richard Matheson's thoughts on the title, and this is a direct quote from Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic, and he said, "I liked Flight." It was his flight from his cowardice, and the flight from the past to the future and so on. The last flight sort of narrows it down. That's always fun to do that, you know, nick of time, that's good. Steel refers to the strength of his personality, plus the fact that these robot prize fighters are made out of steel. And spare of the moment, I love titles like that. Usually, if you can think of a title, you can do it right away. And you're very happy with it. If you have to spend a lot of time thinking about it, you never get it right. And when he was talking to Mark Zickrey for the Twilight Zone companion, he explains himself a little further. And he said, I had double meanings in many of my titles. And I wanted it to refer not only to the flight of the airplane, but to the protagonist's flight from the situation he was in. I suppose it still had a similar meaning. It was the last time he ran away as a coward. Which I think is very true because obviously when it came down to it, he did the right thing. He not only saved his friend's life, but he saved the countless people that he went on to save too. Dialogue from a play, Hamlet to Horatio. There are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamt of in your philosophy. Dialogue from a play written long before men took to the sky. There are more things in heaven and earth and in the sky that perhaps can be dreamt of. And somewhere in between heaven, the sky, the earth, lies the twilight zone. Okay, there we go. Another episode under our belt. And that takes us halfway through season one of the twilight zone. I thought we'd be further on by now, but you know, life gets in the way sometimes. And we've had a couple of little detours, but you know, As I've been doing this, I've become more comfortable with the fact that maybe this isn't a race. It's about taking those little detours every now and again into different things as they crop up. You know, and whether I'm doing this for another three years or another ten years, where I'm sitting right now, it seems seems all good to me. So we'll see how it goes. But uh, my apologies for being away for so long. I went on holiday, a little holiday from the fifth dimension. 
and that kind of threw my routine off a little bit but I'm back now and we'll try and get some episodes under our belt. I need to say thank you to Chris for being so consistent with the Night Gallery podcast and uh, if it wasn't for him there'd have been nothing up on the website so thank you Chris. And I've also got a couple of iTunes reviews to say thank you for. Now on the UK side we've got a gentleman by the name of Scouse Boy and anyone in England knows what that means maybe a few americans do too but it means he's from my hometown of liverpool so it's good to hear from someone close to home and he's also shown up on the twilight zone forum and uh, it's good to see you man and thanks for the feedback much appreciated and on the us side we've got anton 01 and i don't normally read out the feedback but i'll just mention that he said it was nice to see a podcast called the twilight zone that's actually about the twilight zone and yeah i agree i absolutely agree you know that was that was my frustration before i actually started this too you know looking for a twilight zone podcast but none of them were actually about the twilight zone so thank you anton and uh, well spotted now if anyone's visited dimensionxradio.com recently you will see a big announcement there that that website is going to be closing down now i know i've changed the face of the website a few times in the past and I promise this will be the final definitive one we've been we've got a very talented guy working on a new website for us and this is going to be the definitive kind of website for us we're both me both me and Chris are really happy with it and we're going to broaden our scope a little bit but I'll talk about that down the line Dimension X Radio it served us well but that's going to go soon it'll still be the same content but like I say a few more different bits and pieces and uh but we'll, we'll talk about that down the line. Then the next episode, I will probably be announcing the launch of that website and I will announce my new feedback section that I hope will get a bit of interaction with listeners going. But I'll talk about more about that next time as well. Because we have got a new website, all of the email addresses will change. So I won't announce that just yet. And we'll start afresh in the next episode and we'll talk about that then. So it's a double bill of war stories and this time it's the story elegy and i'll see you next time in the twilight zone bye bye